0: little Tommy attended first grade Sunday school, and he attended faithfully, and he loved his teacher, Mrs. Smith. Mrs. Smith was really good at telling Bible stories, and as she would conclude that story, she would always say, and boys and girls, the moral of the story is. Tommy enjoyed learning from Mrs. Smith, and he always waited to hear the moral of the story. Soon, Tommy was promoted to second grade, and in his Sunday school class, his new teacher was Mrs. Jones. And Mrs. Jones was a good Bible teacher. She enjoyed and was capable of teaching Bible stories, but she never ended the story by saying, and the moral of the story is. Now, after a few weeks, uh, Tommy's mom said to him, so Tommy, how do you like your new Sunday school teacher? And he said, well, Mom, you know, Mrs. Jones is okay. The only problem is she doesn't have good morals. We are learning some uh, good morals of the story, and they are in parables. And so uh, we are in a sermon series entitled Parables, The Greatest Stories Ever Told. And if you've missed any of those messages, uh, there are some previous ones. There's an intro and part one out there. Uh, you can l- listen to them or watch them on any of these forms of media. And I want to suggest that you can do that while you're doing something else. Uh, one of my sons listens to my sermons as he mows his grass, okay? Uh, he has his earbud in his ear and his soundproofing thing on, and all he hears is our worship service, and and he listens to them that way. He does two things at the same time, and I do many things that way. I'm sure you do as well, but the important thing is that we are learning and that we're opening our minds and our hearts to the Word of God. Um, I'm happy to tell you today that every parable that Jesus told has good morals. It has a moral to the story. And today our text is in Matthew chapter 13. If you brought a Bible as you're turning there, I do want to mention that our text today is broken up a little bit. And part of the reason is because Jesus told the parable. And then his disciples went to him and said, what does this mean? And Jesus gave the meaning of this particular parable right there in the scriptures. And so um, as you're following along, uh, let me read. It says, beginning with verse 3, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now jump to verse 18 When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So just to get us into the setting, Jesus was sitting by a lake. Uh, there were, uh, there was a, it says there was a great crowd of people who had gathered, and he spoke to them in parables. By way of review, a parable is a story. It is a word picture that uses imagery to illustrate and teach a spiritual truth or a moral lesson. Now, a parable has... Uh, we've, we've been saying a double meaning in that uh, there is a, uh, a truth or a nugget of truth that anyone would just say, okay, that makes sense. Because, for example, um, just anyone who ever planted anything would say, well, you know, you need to have decent soil, right? Soil, the soil quality is important. Or they might say, you know, you need good soil to produce a good crop. That makes sense, right? But for the person who is seeking the kingdom, for someone who is seeking deeper spiritual truth, that individual, um, there is a moral of the story. There is spiritual truth for those who are seeking it, for those who have ears to hear. And so in this particular parable, The disciples had ears to hear, and they said, Jesus, tell us what this parable means. So today, if you're looking on your outline, there are four truths that we're going to look at, and each of these truths parallels to one of the four deeper spiritual meanings that we can glean from this parable, okay? So, truth number one says this. Some people listen to the gospel and refuse to hear it. It says in verse four, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Now, let me give you the the meaning to that in verse 19. Jesus said, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So the farmer was scattering seed. And some of the seed fell on the path, and it was eaten up by birds. How many of you have ever planted grass? Okay. This is my experience. I prepare the soil. As soon as I bring that bag of seed out, every bird in the community knows it. Okay. They perch in the trees. They perch on the rooftops. They're on the, on the wires. They're just waiting for me to walk away so they can dive in and eat. Isn't that what happens? That's what happens in my world, right? So I'm sure it's the same for you. In verse 19, Jesus said, the evil one, he compares Satan or the enemy of God to the birds. And he says, he comes and snatches it away. He blinds the hearts of the hearers. So when the gospel is spoken, they just do not believe. The gospel falls on deaf ears. And we know some people like that. Try to talk to them about your faith. What do they say? I don't want to hear it. Right? They'll put their hands over. Get away from me. I don't want to hear it. Right? Um, now, I've experienced that in other ways. Because I believe that when the Spirit of God leads for the, for the sharing of the gospel, and particularly in this setting, uh, you know quite well that there are many weeks that I will give an invitation and, and lead you, uh, if the, lead those who have not trusted Christ as Savior, to place their faith in Christ uh, as part of the, the closing of the service. And I, and I do that quite often. What you don't know is it's generally never in my notes because if the Holy Spirit says, do this, I've learned the hard way to resist. You know, like I say no, then I spend a whole week of like, I wish I would have listened, wish I would have listened, right? And so regardless of what the clock says, if the Holy Spirit says you need to give that invitation, give that opportunity, I try to be sensitive to that and do that. And I believe that when the Spirit leads, the Holy Spirit is present drawing people. In fact, in John chapter 6, verse 44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God is not willing that any should perish. It is God's desire that all people will accept the offer of forgiveness in Jesus that is found only in him. But what oftentimes happens is the Holy Spirit may be working, but we do not have ears to hear We refuse to hear it. And it goes right over our heads. It's gone, right? So that is the first truth. The second truth says this. Some people listen to the gospel and reject it. It says in verse 5 that some people, or some fell, that's the seed, fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Verse 20 and 21, Jesus gives the meaning, and he says the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So this individual hears the gospel, and they may, uh, they may think, wow, you know, like, that's a good idea. Um, you know, let's figure this out. Who would not want to have a free ticket to heaven, right? Makes sense. Um, but this person rejects it because there's no commitment. They, they, they really don't want to make a commitment. They may call themselves a Christian. Uh, Sadly, uh, there are people who know the gospel. They know what it sounds like. And they have a false sense of assurance. But it's really here. And in their heart, they reject it. Um, He says, the person who hears the word receives it with joy. Yet there is no root. So when the sun comes out, the plant dies. You see, a root is necessary in a plant in order to sustain life. Now, um, I went to Bible college twice. I went for three years, and I took a break that ended up being 11 years, and then I went back and finished in another year. But in those first three years, I worked for a greenhouse grower. Uh, the the largest greenhouse grower in Lancaster County, in fact, other counties as well. And the very last year that I worked for them, I actually worked on a range in Mahoning Valley that they owned, and they grew Christmas cactuses there. And I lived on that range in a house uh, and was the person on call. So if the temperature alarm went off in the middle of the night, uh, I was the one that went down and would light five-gallon buckets of alcohol. You would fill them, set them on the bed, and throw a match at them because they would go poof, and then like an inferno, they would keep the, the house warm overnight. Um, I was also uh, became the responsible for watering on weekends, and, um, and I watered as I worked during the week as well. They produced Christmas cactus. Now, they had 30-inch pots, stockpots of Christmas cactus. I'm not talking 30 inches. I'm talking 30 inches across. It was a sight to behold when they were all blooming. Uh, Each house was probably twice the size of this sanctuary. There were six of them there, and they were filled with stockpots. And so what would happen is, like right after Christmas, the beginning of the year, uh, crews of people would be there, and they would break those stems off right at the ground level. And then um, mo- other crew members would be there at long tables, and they would have these piles of, of stalks that came off the Christmas cactus. And if you know what they look like, they're kind of like a little rectangle connected to a rectangle, and they would snap them like this and throw them in a wash basket. And then they would take the wash baskets and they'd submerge them in a vat of water that had a root starter and some kind of antibacterial thing. While they were doing all that, it was my job to lay out all of these flats on all of these greenhouses and fill them with soil. So when they were done, they would take each one of those little segments and they'd stick it in a cell. And there was like probably like 48 cells in a flat. And they would stick them all in. And then I would water. And my instruction was, you water until the water is dripping out of the bottom of every cell. <clears throat> and then the next instruction was, no more water. And so, days would go by. Maybe weeks would go by, depending on the humidity. And I would say to the, the person, that, that my supervisor, I'd say, those things need water. Man, they, they look like raisins in those, in those cells. No, no let's go out, so we go out in the, in the, and he'd pick out a random one, and he'd pull out the cell, which was like a dry little brick, and he'd look at the bottom. Finally, the bottom would have a root. The root was all the way down that cell to the very bottom looking for water, and then he'd say, now, and then I would use a fertilizer in a water, and I would flood them again. Believe it or not, overnight, You'd wake up, go into the greenhouse the next morning, and they had two little ears on each one of them. They, they were green, uh, and they grew two little shoots, one on each side, like little bunny ears. I mean, it was crazy. But you see, the root was necessary to, st- to sustain life. And, and there was a huge amount of money made on that crop that went out of there every year. And so it all began with a root. Well, this particular person hears the gospel, but there's no root. There's no abilities to sustain life. Ultimately, uh, it might sound good momentarily, and then it's gone. Then, the third truth. Some people listen to the gospel and dividedly believe it. It says, Some seed fell on thorny soil, in verse 7, which grew up and choked the plants. The meaning of that is found in verse 22. Jesus said, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. You see, there might be that momentary thought wow, that gospel sounds really good. Yet, the idea of having faith in Jesus is just one of many other things. There is never any level of commitment of faith. And we could say that if there is any form of commitment, it is divided. There may be a desire to follow Christ and to be a Christian. Yet, there's a desire to be like everyone else, and a desire to do what everyone else does. Jesus warns, saying, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choked the seed. Uh, He earlier in Matthew's gospel said this, in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, certainly it's not wrong to have wealth, but the first priority always needs to be God. A relationship with Christ must be the most important thing, not just something among everyone else. And this thorny soil could certainly be represented by busyness, because whether we want to admit it or not, we're always busy. And even when I talk to people who are retired, they say, I don't know how I had time to work, right? Because they're always busy. And our lives are busy. I want you to think about this. Now, the average work week for most people that work full-time is not 40 hours. That would be a joke, okay? Because most people who work full-time may work 45 hours, or 50 hours, or even 60 hours, okay? Um, That's not unusual. And COVID has made that even more apparent because think about this. There are some people today who are choosing, for whatever reason, they're not ready to go back to the workforce. And as a result, they're able to uh, collect a little money from COVID and from unemployment or whatever. So since it's hard to hire people, and there's bazillions of jobs out there, and since it's hard to hire people, if you are working, you're likely working shorthanded. So that means you're working shorthanded, and you're working harder, and you're working more hours than you normally do. That is busyness. But that's not even the extent of the busyness in our lives. We uh, live in a, in a day that there is so much communication and so much stuff going on. You know, we check our emails, we're on social media all the time. You know, we do not know how to get quiet and be still. We're always going, we're always doing something. TV's always on. We're, all, we're at the computer, or we're on our phone, or we're playing a game on our phone, or we're doing something. There is very little downtime. Many people are raising kids, and this is what their weekly schedule is. They have school, and then one night they have scouts, and another night they have youth group, and another night they have a, a voice lesson, and another night they have baseball practice or whatever, and many parents run all night long, all week long in different directions every day, and I want to tell you, Annette and I have 13 grandchildren, and many of them are not yet old enough to participate in things. But before COVID, we literally could have gone to this many uh, games or activities every week because there's always something. And I don't think our family is unusual. I think that's indicative of many families. Uh, They run themselves ragged from one thing to the next thing. And so even if somebody you know, makes an appearance and hears the gospel and says, oh man, that's really a good thing. Pretty soon, that thought of of following Jesus is just choked out by everything else because the gospel was not a real priority. But then there is a fourth soil, and that is found in truth four. Some people listen to the gospel and really believe it. It says in verse 9, or verse 8 rather, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. And Jesus, when he gives that meaning in verse 23, says the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a 160 or 30 times what was sown. So this person is, not only just listens to the gospel, but they have ears to hear it. And when they hear it, it results in genuine faith. And as a result, there is fruit, or there is evidence, if you will. Jesus said this produces a crop, referring to seed, of a hundred or sixty or thirty times what was sown. You see, genuine faith always has evidence. And the evidence is a crop. The evidence is a fruit. So the one who is fully committed to Christ, there is evidence. Now, um, you see this when someone truly believes the gospel. There's evidence. Now, I want to talk about this a little bit. We believe that when we trust Christ as Savior, God's Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, okay? Um, As good Wesley Arminians, that's what we are in our theology, as good Wesley Arminians, we believe that uh, one of our articles of faith talks about the witness of the Spirit, so that When we genuinely trust Christ and God's Spirit comes and indwells us, His Spirit witnesses with our spirit, Romans 8, and and gives us the assurance that we belong to Christ. That's how we can be so convinced that we know that we know that our sin is forgiven and that we will spend eternity with God. God's Holy Spirit does that. God's Holy Spirit that dwells in us also carries out other ministries, When we do something we should not do, God's Spirit says, you shouldn't be doing that. And he convicts us of sin and leads us to repentance. That is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that is evidence that we belong to him. If we say, I've trusted Christ as our Savior, but there is absolutely no change in our lives. Makes you kind of scratch your head, doesn't it? Because God's Spirit comes and His purpose is to transform us into the image of His Son, Jesus, to make us more and more like Christ. So when God's Spirit moves in, there should be a turning away from sin and there should be a sensitivity to sin. I still didn't correct this. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, now I don't even even need to bother, but in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. You see, my friends, the one who really believes is transformed. Their life is never the same as it was. They crave the word of God. They have a desire to obey the word of God. You know, I've had people who have come to know Christ and they've said to me, you know, Pastor, I used to read the Bible and it was just, I couldn't even figure out a word what it even meant. It made no sense to me at all. And for some reason now, Pastor, when I read the Bible now, since I know Jesus as my Savior, it is as if God wrote it directly to me. You see, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit illuminates God's Word. The Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts. The Holy Spirit works to transform us and to make us new. And so the the seed that fell on good soil produces a crop. The gospel is evident in the life of the one who truly believes. Their life is never as it was. It may not be completely where it should be, but it's not where it started at. And that's so important because that is the evidence, my friend. Um, A transformed life is an evidence of genuine faith. So friends, there are four types of soil and really four types of responses. There's the one who hears it, and says, I don't want to hear it. They cover their ears, and they walk away. There's one who listens to the gospel, uh, but they're not interested. Just, they'll hear it, they'll listen, but nah, not for me. There is one who listens and thinks, you know, that's really not a bad thing, but... The idea of becoming a Christ follower is just one of many things in their life. No priority at all. And then there's the one who truly believes. The one who has the indwelling Holy Spirit. The one who has the assurance that they have been saved from the penalty of sin. The one whose life is being transformed more and more and more and being more conformed to the image of God's Son. The one who truly believes has evidence. There is evidence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. There is a commitment to follow Jesus even when difficulty comes, even when things don't make sense. And my friends, there is life transformation. A genuine believer has evidence. Take a look at this. This, this is the paradox, this paradox the paradox of our time. We have taller buildings, but shorter tempers, wider freeways, but narrower viewpoints. We spend more, but have less. We buy more, but enjoy it less. We have bigger houses, but smaller families, more conveniences, but conveniences. less time, but less time. time, less time, more channels, but nothing worth watching. We've earned more degrees, but lost our common sense. sense. We have more knowledge but less discernment. There are more experts, but more problems. More, problems. More, problems. more problems. more health magazines, but less wellness. This is a time when we choose any religion that fits our personality. It's a the of God who gave us one. We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. We talk too, too much, much, love yourself, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. This is the paradox. We've cleaned up the air, but polluted our minds. We've split the atom, but not our prejudice. We build more computers to hold more information, to produce more copies, to pass around to more people. We have less communication. We've learned to rush, but not to wait. And under the magnificence, under of, the a magnificence of a starry night, we applaud the design. We applaud the design. And ignore the designer. And ignore the designer. We're in the this season the of hurried vacations, of preoccupied minds, quick trips, and fast food. We have fancier houses, but broken it homes. Steeper profits and shallower relationships. Newfound riches, but lost souls. This is indeed a time when we place more value on success than on significance. This, this is the, is the of Our Time. So as we move to our final question, what spiritual lesson or lessons have you learned from this parable? What's the moral of the story? Which seed or soil best describes you? Which soil best describes who you are? Do you listen, perhaps listen to the gospel and refuse to hear it? Or you listen and say, "Eh, not for me, at least not now. Do you listen and say, you know, I think that's really a good thing. But you know, I am busy. I have a lot to do. Or do you really believe And if you have really believed and trusted Jesus as your Savior, then what is the evidence? Is there evidence of an indwelling Holy Spirit? Is there evidence of transformation occurring in your life? Can you look and see where you were and where you are now and say, somewhere I am in the process of being more and more like Jesus? That is the moral of the story. Let's pray. So, Father, we are thankful for your word today. Uh, We're thankful that there are many truths in in this parable. And I pray that everyone who is listening, whether here or at home, would examine the evidence. I pray that there is no one that has false assurance, but that each individual.